All right. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see the title of today's message is Rescuing Christmas from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That was the ugly of Christmas, right? Why do we go to such lengths to make sure that we get our children just the right gift? Parents pushing, shoving, even biting to make sure that their kids get the right toy. Why do we go to such lengths? It's because we love our children. We want them to have the best we can possibly give them, right? I mean, after all, the the scriptures tell us quite clearly that children are a gift from God. Solomon, the wisest king in all of Israel's history, writes in Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Every child is a a gift from God, and we want to do all that we can to show our love for our children by giving them the the best possible gift this Christmas, don't we? I mean, after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? Gathering together with family and friends, exchanging gifts, showing our love for one another, making lifelong memories. Well, as good as those things are, and they're good, that's not what Christmas is really all about. Tim Keller, in his best-selling book, Counterfeit Gods, points out that we can take a good thing and make it a bad thing if we make it an ultimate thing for us. You see, whenever we give more precedence, more priority to anything above our relationship with God, then we're guilty of the sin of idolatry. Keller writes in his book, Counterfeit Gods, He says, if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. Tim Keller tells a story about a, a young woman named Anna that he knew who longed to be married, to have children specifically. You see, when Anna was a little girl, she played with dolls and she used to dream about having her own children. And so she prayed that one day she might get married so that she could have her, her own children. Well, after many years and much prayer and much waiting, she finally did, in fact, meet a godly man, and the two were married. But she was given the initial prognosis of infertility. And so she began to pray and cry out to God, knowing that God had called her for sure to to be a mother. Well, after much prayer and and some help from some doctors, they were able to give birth to, to two beautiful boys. Yes, her family was an answer to prayer And yet, with the wonderful family, with two beautiful boys, still Anna was not happy. She was not content. She had no peace. Tim Keller explains in his book, her overpowering drive to give her children a perfect life made it impossible for her to actually enjoy them. Her overprotectiveness, fears, and anxieties And her need to control every detail of her children's lives made the family miserable. Sadly, as passionate as Anna was for her two boys, as much as she loved them, her whole identity became wrapped up in them. If they weren't happy, then she wasn't happy. If they weren't thriving and succeeding, then she felt like she must be a failure altogether. Her whole identity became wrapped up in her children. And in doing so, Anna had no peace. This Christmas, how can we make sure that we don't take a good thing and turn it into a bad thing by making it an ultimate thing? 
In short, how can we rescue Christmas from the idolatry of our culture? To find out, open your pew Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. It may be found on page 1036 of your red pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your spirit, you inspired Matthew to put pen to paper, to share the words of Jesus with us today. Oh Lord, as we read these words, may you speak to us, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So it's the second Sunday of Advent, and we have just lit the candle of peace. And we just read Isaiah chapter 9, where the prophet Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah and tells us that we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If Jesus is supposed to be the Prince of Peace, then why does Jesus tell his disciples in Matthew 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What is Jesus saying here? Why is he saying it? And how might we learn from these words today? Well, the principal rule of interpreting scripture is that scripture interprets scripture. If you ever read a set of verses and you're not sure what they mean, continue reading. For the Holy Spirit has inspired Matthew to to give us a full account of, of what Jesus has to say here. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has gathered his 12 disciples and he is sending them out to go and preach about the the coming of the, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus knows that he is sending his disciples out like sheep among wolves. He warns them because Jesus knows that not everyone's going to want to hear what they have to say about the coming of Christ's kingdom. Yes, the message of of Jesus, if we remember, was he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the kingdom calls us to repentance. It calls us to turn from our life of sin and to turn towards God. Yes, the gospel of grace makes it very clear that we are all sinners 
that we all fall woefully short of God's requirements in the law, and so we need to repent. Yes, the gospel of grace helps us see that we all need a savior. The gospel of grace helps us see that by our own efforts, we will never be able to save ourselves. We need Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We need Jesus to live in perfect obedience to our heavenly father. We need Jesus to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross. We need Jesus to rise again on the third day, conquering sin and death on our behalf. It's the gospel of grace helps us see our need for Jesus, that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and we are not. The truth is, in the first century and in the 21st century today, not everyone wants to hear this gospel of grace. Not everyone wants to humble themselves and confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Not everyone is willing to follow Jesus as Lord. You see, even in our own culture today, in our secular humanist culture, we are led to believe that we are the masters of our own faith, that ultimately we are in control, that we are the masters of our soul. But the gospel of grace helps us see that Jesus, he is Lord and master of all. The message of Jesus, it's divisive. Because it calls us to humble ourselves and make an absolute commitment to Jesus. Jesus knew that this message of the kingdom would not be well received by everyone. And he knew it would be divisive and rejected by many. It would even divide families. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 21 to 22, he says, Brother will deliver brother over death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the truth, does he? Following Jesus isn't going to be easy, is it? For when we commit to following Jesus, we we are committing to take up our own cross and to die to ourselves and to live solely for him. To seek his will above our own will. When we commit to following Jesus, we are making the commitment that our relationship with Jesus will supersede any other relationship we have, that it will be the most important relationship we have. In fact, it will inform every other relationship that we have. Yes, when we commit to following Jesus, some of our temporal relationships may even suffer. Just ask any Arab Muslim today who's decided to follow Jesus. He has been most likely rejected and disowned by his own family. It's a relationship with Jesus. It can be very costly. But in light of eternity, it's the most important relationship we will ever have. For it is only in a personal relationship with Jesus, when we are willing to die to ourselves and seek his will above our own will, that we discover the real life, the abundant life, the eternal life that Jesus came to bring. That's why Jesus says at the end of our text, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If Anna, sweet Anna that Tim Keller writes about, if Anna, this controlling, helicopter, anxious mother, if she were to make Jesus Christ the the center of her life, the success and the failure of her kids wouldn't control her and define her. By centering her life around her relationship with Jesus, Anna would see that her children are just like her. They're, They're sinners in need of a savior. Sinners saved by grace. 
She would see that the mistakes and the failures that they experience is is just a part of the growing up process. It's just a part of the sanctification process of being made more and more into the image of God's son. We learn a lot from our mistakes. If Anna would center her life around her relationship with Jesus, then she would spend more time praying for her kids, giving them to Jesus, and less time worrying about them. If Anna would center her life around her relationship with Jesus, then her principal goal this Christmas would not be to go and get the best toy for her kids. No, her principal goal this Christmas would be to take her children to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Making Jesus the primary love of our life doesn't mean that we love our spouse or our children or our family members or our friends less than we do now. It means that we love them better. For Jesus shows us how to love someone unconditionally and sacrificially. As we center our lives around our relationship with Jesus, the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ will flow through us to others. Yes, when we center our lives around our relationship with Jesus, we will know that the best thing we can do for others is to take them to Jesus this Christmas. For he's the only one who can give us the true peace, the eternal peace that we all long for. To rescue Christmas from the ugly idolatry of our culture this year, we need to do all that we can to point our friends and our family members and our loved ones to Jesus. For Jesus is the the reason for the season. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the only one who can give us the eternal peace the abiding peace, the peace that truly passes all understanding. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much that you are the God who is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. And while our relationship with you was strained, Lord, you did not allow it to stay that way. No, you sent your Son here to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves to live in perfect obedience, to die as the perfect sacrifice, to conquer sin and death on our behalf. Oh God, we thank you for the peace that we find in Jesus Christ today. Help us all to center our lives around him this season. Help us to do all that we can to bring our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and our neighbors to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.